Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule. We get it. With Lindsay Hooper and Kate Borsay. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Offside Rule podcast and it's crunch time of the season. Lots of relegation issues, lots of promotion, resignations, firings. It's all been going on and that means it's been a topsy-turvy week and we will reveal now that there is a slight difference to this week's Offside Rule podcast because this week it's myself, Lindsay Hooper and Kate Borsay. We're on our own. Now, just to shed some light on this, we're actually recording at the moment as it's just been announced that Sir Alex Ferguson has retired from Manchester United. He'll be retiring at the end of the season after 26 years and 38 trophies, showing that longevity really does pay. But it does mean that our very own Hayley McQueen has been called into Sky Sports News duty. Um, and just as we were about to record this, it means that we've had to let her go to do her day job. Uh, Going to be a busy day for her, I think. It really is. And obviously, she's interviewed Sir Alex several times. And most recently, only a couple of months ago, for a magazine article. So she knows the man incredibly well and in her role at MUTV, obviously, spoke to him and enjoyed many conversations with the great man of football. Now, I'm quite thankful for this because in a week where you could have talked to me about Wolves being relegated, (laughs) this is being buried. (laughs) So, Alex Ferguson, thank you. Uh, I want to start, Kate, by just saying to you, easily, the best manager of all time. Would we go with that? I think we would. I mean, obviously, time, time will tell us to see whether anyone will overtake take him but if you're looking in the uh, English leagues of course the best manager of all time and I think throughout the world he's recognised as that figure as well as you say he's had a huge amount of trophies, 38 trophies this includes 13 titles 2 Champions League crowns, 5 FA Cups, 5 League Cups he's going to have a hip operation in the summer and that may have triggered some of his decision to retire and obviously we will find out more in in the next few days I have to say as well in terms of the longevity issue at Manchester United you know, the 26 years. I'm trying to think if there are any other managers where someone who was, say, born in the early 90s, you know, has grown up and that's the only manager they've known. There's not really any other club where you go, that, that is our guy. We've not had anybody else. Mm-hmm. So that speaks volumes in itself. He's going to be hugely missed. I expect he'll still have a big part to play at Manchester United. Sir Alex Ferguson is taking up uh, roles of director and ambassador for the club, so he'll be uh, knocking around and he'll want someone. I mean, I, I, I would imagine that Manchester United would, would consult Sir Alex in terms of his successor. So I would expect it to be someone who is happy to work, well, a little bit under the shadow of Sir Alex Ferguson, knows his own mind enough, but someone who Sir Alex Ferguson feels he can still mould and have perhaps a bit of influence over in terms of where the team goes because don't forget this is Sir Alex Ferguson's baby you don't bring up a child do you for 26 years hand him to another father and go here you go he's all yours do anything you like with him it's a very delicate issue, though, because he can't get too involved. We've seen what's happened at Chelsea when directors have been too heavily involved with the managerial decisions, and we've seen it at many other clubs. And I don't think he'd allow himself to become that, but I think you're right. I think if he picks the right person and is involved in that recruitment process, then there will be a relationship that perhaps already exists that he can nurture further and someone who would perhaps seek advice from him. And for me, that man is David Moyes. I think there's the Scottish connection, but there is also... 
the respect factor, I think we've always known that Sir Alex Ferguson has really respected what Moyes has done at Everton on a limited budget. Okay, the big thing that has been said about him with the Manchester United job is he's not had experience in Europe and he's not won anything in Europe. Okay, but Sir Alex Ferguson, as you're rightly pointing out, would be the right ear to lean on there, I think, Mm -hmm. and I think would be an open door for Moyes whenever he needed it. But I think that was would be the policy that Ferguson would have. It's an open door, but I'm not going to infringe or impart. Yeah, definitely. Moyes has had a tiny wee bit of European experience in the Europa League, but we won't really uh, etch that. Well, I mean Champions League. (laughs) I shouldn't actually do that, like just cross off a whole competition. But yeah, Europa League. But I I just mean top flight Champions League, which is obviously what Manchester United want to be competing in year after year. The only word of warning that I would say is that it's almost an impossible job to succeed someone like Sir Alex Ferguson. It is a tough job. Whoever comes in is going to have to deal with Sir Alex Ferguson and the massive elephant in the room, which is 38 trophies. I mean, how on earth do you supersede that? I actually agree with you that the job itself is perhaps too big for a lot of people to take on straight off the back of Sir Alex Ferguson. We'll see what happens. And um, obviously things will unfold after this podcast goes out. So hopefully we'll have a bit more knowledge by the time we record next week. The female take on football. I want to go on to other topics that we were going to discuss because this was going to be the agenda, which was the final day of the championship. Um, and it was it was quite a spectacle in the end. Hull City going up with Cardiff. Um, really good to see Steve Bruce as well back in the Premier League. And I have to say, as we're going to come on to Wolves in a bit, he was the manager that was shortlisted at Wolves along with many others when uh, Sol Backham was taken on eventually and Terry Connor. It was actually Terry Connor that was given the job in the interim. Uh, Steve Bruce's name banded around. It got very close, did happen whoa are we kicking ourselves Watford Brighton Crystal Palace and how about Leicester sneaking the final playoff spot and I always said uh, an East Midlands side I must admit after Billy Davis went on that fantastic run with Forrest I didn't think it would be Leicester in the end but uh, you've got to say credit to them they snatched that last place and Bolton fans and Forrest fans really weeping for another season And a quick mention as well from the Premier League because, of course, the relegation battle there is really hotting up. A telling result for Wigan, who just lost marginally to Swansea uh, 3-2. They did get one of their game in hands as a win, which was putting them in a good position, but now they've got it all to do. And for them and Norwich, it's quite a precarious position they're both in, isn't it? Yeah, I'm really gutted for Norwich, actually. I've got a few friends at the club and I really don't want to see them go down. Someone has to, you know, much like I'd love Wigan to continue this marvellous romantic story of you know doing it right at the last minute in the season staying in the Premier League after what is now a fair few years unless they produce two wins it looks awful for Wigan I'm just nervous for Norwich as well though well, we will see the jury's out on that one and we'll be watching the Premier League, but we have to whisk through. There was so much more that I was going to talk about originally to do with lower league and the playoffs that have happened. Uh, we have got Faye Carruthers doing our non-league roundup, so she'll update us on all things from the Blue Square Bet Premier and what happened, and we'll have a quick FAWSL chat. Uh, also to come, topic two will be from the top down. Uh, we've often focused on managers who've turned clubs around in the Offside World podcast, but this time we're looking at the chairman, so we'll go for that. Uh, I'm after two short examples each (laughs) and the end of season forfeits I've asked you to come up with a few players from the top flight or from any league actually where you would issue them a funny forfeit for the end of the season maybe they've underperformed maybe they've just gone a bit unnoticed someone you want to pick out and give a reason why you're giving them a forfeit I'm Gary Neville and you're listening to the Offside Rule
We'll start with topic one, which I'm sure you would love to introduce for me, Kate. Uh, The double drop pick-me-up. Basically... (laughs) Uh, Wolves relegation from the championship this is really hard for me to talk about sees them return to the third tier of English football for the first time since 1989 they also become the first team to twice suffer back-to-back relegations from the top league now of course I'm in need of a real good pick-me-up after all of this Um, I need to focus on some positives Dean Saunders sacked earlier this week so there's obviously an opportunity for a new man to come in and put his stamp on things and I'm sure that will help with the club if only they've thought about it properly this time. I didn't think he was the right man for the job. And by the way, I'm just going to say Sean O'Driscoll, for me, would be, the, would be the pick. Although Darren Ferguson's been linked. So can we give Wolves fans and myself a bit of a lift? I've asked you to pick out a club who've successfully bounced back from double relegation. So I'm going to start with you, Kate, obviously, um, to try and give me some wise words. All right, well, my first little word of condolence for you is if you're feeling bad, spare a thought for Wolves' Roger Johnson. I didn't spare a thought for him that's part of the problem he's gone yeah you're going to tell me three teams he's got relegated yeah since he won the Carling Cup with Birmingham back in 2011 Birmingham got relegated then Wolves then he joined Wolves yeah. Wolves got relegated from the Premier League and now Wolves have been relegated again down to League One so spare a thought for him I think it's marvellous though Wolves seem to be attracting all kinds of records just the wrong sort of records uh, they're one of two teams to be dealt a triple drop from Division One to Division Four uh, in 85, 86 and 87. So Wolves fans, don't think it's about a turnaround now because it might not be. You have done it before. You're meant to be lifting me up. What's going on? I just couldn't help but rub it in, folks. Uh, Let's mention a few teams. Now, the one that I've gone with is just a bit of a story to help lighten Lindsay Hooper's heart. But I did want to mention Crystal Palace. I mean, this is back in the 70s, so I guess maybe not not so relevant now. They went uh, from the first to the second to the third division from uh, 72-73 to 74-75. And, of course, look where they are now. They're in the playoffs with a hopeful chance of getting into the pre- Premier League. Cardiff City also, they suffered a double relegation and look where they are now. Swansea City back in the 80s too. But scrap all that. I want to give you an inspirational story from Italy. Seeing as we've gone a bit Syria mad today, let's talk Napoli. Now the club most famous perhaps for the time that Diego Maradona was there in the 80s and the early 90s. They won loads of honours there. The Scudetto twice, the Coppa Italia. They had success in Europe as well in that period. But by August 2004, Napoli was declared bankrupt with debts of around 70 million euros. What did they do to try and secure the status of that football club and keep football in the city of Naples? They brought in film producer Aurelio De Laurentiis. He came to rescue them. So in steps this film producer, most famous for his 2004 film Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. <laughs> No, I didn't know that either. And they had to start life in Serie C. They had to start in the third tier of football. Within two seasons, they were back in Serie B. After just one season back in Serie B, they were promoted on the final day. Things looking up, they spent their first season back in the Serie A in 2007-2008. Let's fast forward to 2010-11. They finished the season in third. They qualified for the group stage of the Champions League. In 2011-12, they won the Coppa Italia for the fourth time in the club's history. 25 years 
years after their last win. So things very much looking up under the direction of the fabulous film producer Aurelio Di Laurentiis. They then had quite a remarkable season in the Champions League last season. So it can be done. You can go from Serie C. Forecasting Champions League football for Wolves in the future. I wouldn't forecast anything but the best for you and Wolves, Lindsay Hooper. They had a great season, of course, in the Champions League last season. They finished second behind Bayern Munich in the group stage. Their only losses uh, would be to Bayern Munich and Chelsea, the two teams who eventually went on to meet in the final. This season, they finished second in Syria. Not bad for a team who were playing in the third tier of Italian football seven years ago. So I'm thinking, Lenny Henry? Anyone else? <laughs> Robert is... Plant is our biggest fan. We should get him Robert Plant. Robert Plant. Lenny Henry originates from Dudley. I know that's very, very close to where you're from, Lindsay. So we are going to issue a call out to anyone with a bit of dosh in the West Midlands, Wolves, Dudley area. Please come and save you. Thank you for that. I, I think that's the fairy tale of football, isn't it? I'm going to go for something a little bit more down to earth. I don't think... <laughs> I, well, I, I'm just going to be a realistic Wolves fan right now. You know, after two drops, I can't really really be anything but. So I'm going to look to a side who I think we can replicate, which is Leeds United. Leeds are one of England's, of course, most historically successful clubs, as are Wolves, let's just say the 1950s. The Whites, they dominated the old First Division in the 60s and 70s. And they had a renaissance, they had all those great players like in the 90s and into the early 2000s. Leeds were challenging for the league title at one point and they were competing in Europe as well. And there's a Europe theme there. A few years later, they then were in the depth of the English league system and they suffered lots of financial woes. Now, that hasn't been a problem for Wolves, which is one of the reasons why I was so livid that we got a double drop because you look at many teams that have suffered it, such as Portsmouth as well. It's always to do with admin and getting points deducted and we've just done it through bad results. Were they not a little bit crippled though by the Premier League wages that their players were enjoying? I suppose that comes into it, but still, they could have offloaded players mm. last summer and they didn't. I think that is part of the problem. There, were, there was a big wage bill. Anyway, back to Leeds and um, Chairman Peter Risdale took out large loans. Um, it was all based on the TV money when it was all coming in and qualification for UEFA Champions League. So that year, they made it all the way to the semi-finals in 2001. So I suppose you'd call it living the dream, but oh, how the dream became a nightmare. <laughs> uh, they failed to qualify the following season. The club went on a buying spree. So you had the, your likes of Robbie Keane, who, who we actually had as well, uh, Rio Ferdinand, Robbie Fowler. They all just disintegrated. They were relegated from the Premier League in 2004. The squad was dismantled the club searched for new investors. They sold Ellen Road. Administration in 2007, they got the 10-point deduction that I alluded to, what happens when you have financial woes at clubs. They fell to the third tier of English football for the first time in their history. So they've had years of turmoil since, but... They, of course, back in the Championship, one step from the Premier League, potentially for next season. And this season they finished 13th. And, OK, quite mid-table in the end. I mean, at one point they were really fighting for a playoff place and things just seemed to derail slightly. But they are a team to take inspiration from because they are in the Championship and they are a team that I think will return to the Premier League in the next five years. Hi, this is Kirsty Gallagher and I love the Offside Rule podcast. 
on to topic two then. And this is called From the Top Down. Uh, we focus many times on managers in the Offside Rule podcast and we've given them plenty of plaudits. But this time it's our turn to focus on chairman. And Kate, it was you that brought this story to my attention. I loved it, by the way. In 2009, Les Scadding won £45.5 million in the Euro Millions. Because how many of us put our money on the Euro Millions every week and think we'd buy a football team? <laughs> I'd either buy a football team or a TV station. But now he is chairman of Newport and they've just been promoted to League Two. So we want the best success stories of chairmen that have revolutionised their club. You can, of course, get in touch and get involved with this on our Offside Rule Pod Twitter account, at Offside Rule Pod, if you want to. Any chairman that have helped turn a club's fortune around. So a couple of examples. I'm going to elaborate on this one a bit more, seeing as Haley is missing from action today. Uh, so go back in time for one if you need to, and maybe more of a current example. So, Kate, what have you got? Well, I'm going to give a couple of honourable mentions, first of all, before I go with my two selected chairmen. Honourable mentions from me must go to Wigan's Dave Whelan. I know we've mentioned him on the podcast, or I have certainly before, so I didn't want to go back down that track. Swans is Hugh Jenkins as well, continuing to defy expectations, establishing a reputation for backing their managers. Peter Coates at Stoke as well. You know, you can't deny uh, what Stoke have been able to achieve. I think a lot of it has been due to their manager, but also, you know, their manager needs that backing from the top. And Peter Coates has certainly done that. I'm going to go German. I'm I'm thinking all types of European in this podcast today, Hoops. Uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenegger is someone who I'm going to flag up. Chairman of Bayern Munich since 2002. Did you know, by the way, that Bayern Munich Football Club was founded from a Munich gymnastics club? See, we learn something every week. I thought thought that was fascinating. Uh, Anyway, Karl-Heinz Rummenegger, uh, of course, he is a huge figure in in German football and and, uh, enjoyed a very successful playing career as well. But he became chairman of Bayern Munich. I mean it back in 2002 and where he made it for me and what he's done really I think since 2007 probably signals him out for me as one of the best current chairman of the era. The team finished with no honours at all in 2006 2007 and he made drastic changes to the squad to help rebuild. He made several new signings the likes of Frank Ribery, Mirosaf Kloser, Luca Toni, you know big Bayern Munich names. He released a whole lot of players as well. In 2009, 2010, he managed to capture Arjun Robin and Mario Gomez, too, which have, you know, two two players which have very much been instrumental in taking Bayern Munich to the dizzy heights of where they are today. They've won five of the last ten Bundesliga titles. They reached the Champions League final last season. And where your chairman stand out is revenue. You have to look at the revenue side of it. Uh, Bayern Munich is the biggest sports club in Germany and the fourth biggest football club in the world, generating 368.4 million euros in 2012. So not to be sniffed at, of course. Football clubs turn on the axis of finances and that's so important when you want the safety of your team you need a good chairman you need solid managership you need backing from that chairman and you need the money now Bayern is an exception in professional international football having generated profits in nine of the last 10 seasons and that's really important and I think a lot of the reason why Pep Guardiola came in and that's another huge acquisition for Karl-Heinz Rummenegger and Bayern Munich as well so 
German clubs, just wanted to explain a little bit about how they're owned, because this is fascinating as well. They have to be at least 51% German-owned, OK? So they can't have a majority shareholder or a majority owner who isn't German. I've just got to say, you're going to go on and everything I'm just going to be in awe of, because I love the German model and I wish we had this in England. So Bayern Munich are actually 80, well, nearly 82% owned um, by a spin-off organisation. This is how it works. You have a spin-off organisation who effectively runs the club. Karl-Heinz Rummenegger uh, is... Uh, chairman of that. They sold just over 9% to Adidas to fund going into the Allianz Arena and what a fantastic arena that is. Again, another plus point for Bayern. But in came Audi and invested another 90 million euros and that pretty much paid back what the club had borrowed to build the Allianz Arena. So that Allianz Arena was paid back before it was meant to be paid back. I just love a bit of German efficiency. Bayern are a membership-based club, more than 185,000 members. And what's interesting about the club as well, and this happens a lot in Germany and in Europe, but not here, the club has other departments for chess, handball. Of course, I know all about handball, having done my stint at London 2012, uh, but also invests in basketball, gymnastics, bowling, table tennis, and also referee development as well. What a fantastic club, what a fantastic model. And a lot of that we have to credit to Karl-Heinz Rummenegger. I'm liking the lesson. I've learned a lot there. I've got a few different examples. Let me start with keeping to topic because I've gone off topic <laughs> slightly. Um, so we've, we're going from the top down. I thought a club that we've mentioned already, Hull City, who've been promoted. Um, I thought let's give a mention to the chairman that's turned that club around because um, he's an Egyptian, Asim Alam. He took over in 2010 and the club were literally four days away from being wound up. They returned to the uh, top flight at Premier League football after three years of absence now. They went basically from the verge of bankruptcy to the Premier League. I mean, that's a story in itself. But he signed away £27 million to keep the club in the championship. He actually had the foresight to see, actually, he could have taken the points deduction. He could have gone down a league to try and come up again. But I think that was an astute move to stay in the championship. And obviously, it's paid off now. Another one, which I will hand over to Faker Others in a few moments' time for the non-league roundup, um, and it's to do with Mansfield. But this is a little story about Mansfield's chairman. He actually gave his Aston Martin card to the team's manager as a reward for a victory. It was an 8-1 victory. But John Radford, he handed over the keys to manager Paul Cox following the win to Barrow. Now, I just thought that this was a great story because, you know, someone might joke, oh, yeah, if if you get a great win, I'll give you my car. But they never go through with it. But this man actually did. And when they actually beat Barrow, um, Cox couldn't quite believe it because he went out into the forecourt and the car worth up to £80,000 also had a personalised registration plate on it. So it was all thought through. He obviously really believed that they were going to win that day. But 8-1, he probably didn't foresee that score. I'm going to go off topic slightly because this is such a topsy-turvy podcast. No Hayley McQueen. Uh, We haven't got our usual Syria specialist. We're having to draft in Kate Partridge, who does Russian Premier League. I decided, what the hell? We might as well just (laughs) go the whole hog. So instead of chairmen that have been great, I've I've gone for a couple of really funny examples. So Sam Hammam, who was at Wimbledon and Cardiff, he made his name at the Crazy Gang, right? This is back in the mid-90s era when Wimbledon were, of course, going pretty well. And he quickly gained a reputation for being very unorthodox in his approach to football chairmanship. He promised Dean Holdsworth a camel if he broke the 20-goal barrier. (laughs) 
He locked Robbie Earle, who was then with Port Vale in a dressing room, refused to let him out until he signed for Wimbledon. That's a way to get a player, isn't it? And he paraded elephants, yes, elephants, around the pitch at Selhurst Park before leaving to go and preside over what he called Cardiff City's orgy football. I love this story. So anyway, Sam Hammam, you get a mention. And then I thought there can't be anything wackier than that that's happened with a chairman. Yes, there can. We go to Palermo, we go abroad, we go to Maurizio Zamperini, and he's a dangerous mix of very cranky, impatient behaviour mixed with some ferocity. Widely regarded as the most tempestuous president in Italian football. So uh, he was going through coaches quicker than Chelsea and Abramovich could possibly think of doing. At the last count, there were 23 coaches since 2002. Over his decade in charge, Zamperini provided quite a lot of good quotes. Now, this is the sort of manager we want for post-match in the Premier League. Get him into the Premier League. Calling for all referees to be imprisoned was one. (laughs) Threatening to cut all his players' testicles off and eat them with his salad. (laughs) Calling England, maybe he won't come to the Premier League, a land of pirates. (laughs) And he also admitted that he fancied coach Delio Rossi more than his own wife. I just loved it. Um, So that was a couple that I wanted to throw in for good measure. The non-league roundup. Faker Others has a roundup. We've had playoffs, we've had promotions. Uh, what on earth has been going on, Faye? There's been loads going on, Lindsay. The Welsh success has again tipped into the Blue Square Bet Premier with an all-Welsh final at Wembley. Newport against Wrexham, both sides arguably as deserving as the other for that last place in League Two. Wrexham, of course, always up there in the mix. Disappointment for them in the playoffs in previous seasons. And Newport have that great tale of despair to success. Don't forget the club had to reform in 1989. After 60 years in the Football League, they then had to start life in the ninth tier of English football and they actually only got back into the conference three years ago and it was Newport who was celebrating after the 90 minutes at Wembley. It took, though, 86 of those minutes for any team to make a breakthrough and it was Christian Jolly who finally opened the scoring. Aaron O'Connor put the nail in the coffin for Wrexham, making it 2-0 in injury time and Justin Edinburgh is going to hope to put pen to paper with Aaron O'Connor who's out of contract and hopefully retain his services for their time in League Two. So Wrexham couldn't do what York did last season and do the Wembley double after winning the FA Trophy back in March. Some might say that the playoff system was fair. Newport finished in third, so five points ahead of Wrexham at the end of the regular season. And in fact, here's a stat for you. This was the sixth time in 11 seasons that the third and fifth place teams had met in the final. Each time, the team in third prevailed. So that's it from me this season on all things non-league, I'm sorry to say. It's been a disappointing season for Luton, but a fascinating one as a fan of non-league football. Looking forward to seeing what next season brings and hopefully bringing you tales of Hatter's success. Hi, I'm Paul Merson and you're listening to the Offside Rule podcast. Thank you very much, Faye. And we will have a roundup of all things Serie A coming up a bit later on uh, with Kate Partridge this week. Uh, next up, it's an FAWSL quick chat. And I know that Kate Borsay, being a Liverpool fan, do you also support Liverpool ladies? Of course I do. Naturally, the allegiances have to merge, don't they? I've been excited about Liverpool ladies right since uh, pre-season. They've got a new manager, Chelsea's ex-manager, Matt Beard. And I've been encouraged because of the amount of signings. It could have all gone terribly wrong. It could still go terribly wrong. But one thing that I am sure to want to mention today is the 4-0 drubbing of Arsenal. There's one fixture each season in the WSL where the Emirates actually say, yep, 
the women's game can play there. Uh, I think last time it was a record crowd, nearly 5,000. It was one of the hottest evenings mm. of the year. So many people frequenting beer gardens and having barbecues up and down the country might have been reflected in the crowd attendance. It was about two, just over 2,000, I think. I was a little disappointed in that, but not disappointed in the football. And I wonder whether Arsenal under Shelley Kerr having this bit of a, a disappointment, really, with the Champions League semi-final exiting against Wolfsburg and really wanting to be in that final and probably wanting to get some silverware. They've kind of taken their eye off the ball at the opening start of the WSL season. Lots of the other teams up and running. They've played a couple of fixtures. Arsenal, this was their sort of curtain raiser, if you like. And what a curtain raiser to be on a minus four goal deficit. They're at the bottom with Doncaster Bells. We weren't expecting that. Although I have heard from my sources, I wasn't at this game. But do understand it was just one of those nights where... 4-0 4-0 was a, a bit flattering, I think, to Liverpool. But Liverpool really showing, wow, you know, the Merseyside teams are ones to watch. And maybe the WSL this season is going to be much, much tighter. Although I do expect Arsenal to suddenly go up a gear. But just fill us in on what happened. Well, it's nice to see Arsenal tested, isn't it? And I think it was, as you correctly say, one of those really unfortunate nights. Let's not take anything away from Liverpool, ladies. But it all went wrong for Arsenal. Not only was it their one flagship game at the Emirates, but they also were on the back of that 4-0 drubbing. Arsenal certainly not without chances. Steph Houghton was in there, Kim Little too. It was just one of those nights where it all went Liverpool's way. They were strong, they were dynamic and coupled with Arsenal just not having any luck in front of goal it was Liverpool's night. It is all about Merseyside at the moment in the WSL. Everton uh, beat Chelsea 2-1 as well. And Jill Scott with a lob to get the winning goal. I love seeing that. And Jill Scott, a brilliant character in the WSL. And I really like to see her scoring and captain as well now. So um, really good to see. And there's video highlights and updates as well. If you go to the FAWSL part of the uh, website, you can go via the FA. Hello everyone, this is Tony Cotty from Sky Sports Soccer Saturday and when I'm not working with Jeff Stelling and the boys, I'm listening to the Offside Rule podcast. Will we not know anything about football? You're having a laugh, ain't you? We'll go on to our third topic then before Twitter Topic of the Week and it's end of season forfeits. Uh, we reckon there's quite a few players either in relegated sides or any others that should have had some end-of-season forfeits written into their contracts if they suffered a a below-par performance or they suffered relegation, anything like that. Uh, Players, they get win bonuses, don't they? So we think, why not? It's quite (laughs) funny to have a forfeit here and there. It shouldn't be an issue. So choose three players uh, that you'd like to have an end-of-season forfeit. I want you to choose a forfeit for the player to do. And you know the the power of Twitter. So via the Offside Rule pod account, you never know. It might reach these players. They might end up at actually doing the forfeit. If they do, I would love it with some of mine. Uh, Let's see what you've got. I'm going to give you Fernando Torres. Now, I know that the mask of Zorro's has very much rescued (laughs) his form towards the end of this season, but I can't get over the fact that he is a dead ringer for Eddie Redmayne when he's in Les Miserables. (laughs) Torres and Eddie Redmayne. We will try and put it up on our Facebook page. Have a look. So, for his poor form at the start of the season without the mask, I'm going to make Fernando Torres sing a song from Les Mis. Not empty chairs at empty tables, but empty passes at empty goals. There you go. Uh, Luis Suarez. Forget about Ivanovic's arm. I'm going to make him eat frog's legs for the whole of the off-season. He must have at least one portion of frog's legs a day. And Jose Basingua for that cheeky, naughty, damn right outrageous smile as he was going back into the tunnel. Smirk, yes. After QPR were relegated from the Premier League, I'm going to make him wear a brace 
on his teeth for the whole of next season or get smiling lessons or frowning lessons from Victoria Beckham. That's more of a pouting lesson. I don't know whether we want that as he's going down the tunnel. Uh, great stuff. Um, so I've started with a relegation forfeit and it's for Harry Redknapp going to QPR. I want him to abseil down BBC TV Centre, which has been sold, which is next door to Loftus Road. That's his forfeit for them being relegated. On to my next one. So Thomas Vermarlin of Arsenal. Now he's struggled for form this season and he's also captain as well. So really all the things that we usually expect from him, um, a couple of goals per season, usually he's had none. Uh, great leadership on the field, not as great, n- never as robust as he has been before. He's usually one of my stalwarts in my fantasy league side, but he's not really had a great season. So I think his forfeit should be explaining gravity to the rest of the squad while standing on his head. And, <laughs> and the reason why I came up with that forfeit, I was looking through and troweling through different party forfeits and that was the one that amused me the most. <laughs> the other one is Valencia at Manchester United. Last year's player of the year. He really failed to live up to that tag this season. No longer the best winger in the world, I wouldn't say either. I mean, that was something that was being banded around last year about him. You wouldn't say that this season, despite Manchester United's success. And I'm thinking, we're used to seeing him flying down the wing, so I want him to be a wing walker. I'm actually going to give him the forfeit of standing on a plane and wing walking in front of the entire Manchester United squad. In fact, whilst he's up there, they could get some of the um, you know when they leave a message, aeroplanes yeah. leave a message for Sir Alex whilst yeah. he's up there. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Good luck, Sir Al. <laughs> yeah, obviously because they pay per letter. We don't want to go no, overboard. No, no. Twitter topic of the week. We do have Twitter topic of the week to fill you in on next before we conclude for another podcast. And the topic for this week was all inspired by Matt Dickinson from The Times. He said, for all the talk of love, Mourinho to Chelsea doesn't strike me as wild passion for either side. The prenup will require lots of lawyers. And it made us think of the return of the special one. And if you could have any player or manager return to your club from any single era... Who would it be and why? We had lots of responses on our Twitter account for this one. Uh, so I'll rattle through some. Uh, Stephen Maloney got in touch and said everyone's favourite little fella, Janino, was a joy to watch him grace a football pitch, legend and a top guy too. So thank you for that one. Uh, Stuart Murphy, from an Arsenal perspective, it has to be Dennis Bergkamp for me, the greatest player to grace the Premier League. That's quite a statement, but um, it's certainly up there with one of them, isn't he? Emma C says the Busby Babes to see them back in their prime. Prime, a brilliant suggestion. Uh, Philip Drew, Martin Lawson, or Paul McGrath for solidarity in defence. Aston Villa, of course, that's a great shout. Uh, Natasha Henry, Liam Brady, hands down. The way he played the game would be perfect for this era. Uh, Gary Parker, Spurs and I will have James Greaves back, please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Colette Hall, Henrik Larson, and Jock Stein back to Celtic. That would be a dream. Pedro Martins says Benfica, Eusebio, uh, need I elaborate? And John Mortimer as coach. Classy with determined British grit and organisation. Uh, Philip Gatt said, Eric Cantona, mind United would have to bring the collar back to their shirts. It's really funny, isn't it? Because whenever you think of Cantona, he's got a collar on his shirt and that little crisscross tie. Yes. <laughs> uh, two more Andy Cranston, Brian Clough to Derby, enough said. And um, Brian Connolly.
Kelly, uh, not the comedian. I did check his credentials. <laughs> but Michael Owen, he says, because he said he should have scored 100-plus goals for England and if it wasn't for his injuries and the physio's advice had been better, then I think he would have been the player to have. So thank you very much for getting in touch on Twitter. We'll have another Twitter topic of the week this week. We're at Offside Rule Pod. You can listen via SoundCloud, iTunes, and we're out every single Thursday up until the end of the season, which is nearing... Breaking news, everyone. Stand by your beds. This is Jim White. You can download the Offside Rule podcast this very day. We're going to finish this week with our roundup from Kate Partridge. She's rounding up all things Siri A for us instead of Michelle Lissell, who's away. So this is everything that's been happening in Italy. The female take on football. As expected, and with three games to go, Juventus clinched their 29th Serie A title after a 1-0 win at home to Palermo. Juve's colourfully tattooed star Arturo Vidal struck from the penalty spot on the hour, and despite Paul Pogba seeing red late on for spitting, tut-tut, Antonio Conte's men hung on to be crowned champions for a second straight year. Napoli all but confirmed a return to the Champions League after poacher Edinson Cavani netted a hat-trick in their 3-1 drubbing of Inter, but Milan further consolidated third with a late 1-0 win over Torino. Super Mario Balotelli bagging his ninth goal in ten league matches. Oh, how Manchester City could have done with that. In contrast, stylish Fiorentina's Champions League hopes were dented with a fiery 1-0 stoppage time loss to Roma. But both sides lead the battle for the two Europa League places with Udinese, inspired by goal machine Antonio Di Natale, Lazio and Inter all in hot contention. And with the Europa League spot also at stake for the winners of this month's Coppa d'Italia final between arch-rivals Lazio and Roma, there's still much to play for. Though, after veteran Miroslav Klose scored five in Lazio's 6-0 demolition of Bologna at the Stadio Olimpico, I'd probably tip them. This season, would you back against a German? At the bottom, Pescara have gone straight back down and Siena are ruining their six-point deduction, though everyone from 14th place downwards are looking over their shoulders. But at the Juventus Stadium, many banners featured the number 31. 29 titles, plus the two from 05 and 06 removed for match-fixing, which had left a real shroud over Turin. Yet now, with 11 more Scudetti than either of her Milan rivals, the old lady has reaffirmed her place as Italy's champion. Thanks, Kate, and that's it for this week. We'll return next Thursday with episode 27, and hopefully Hayley McQueen with us. Join us then. Bye for now. The Offside Rule. We get it. With Lindsay Hooper and Kate Borset.